0: Good morning, everyone. It really is great to be with you all today, and uh, I just love being here. I'm just so thankful for our church. Well, just thank you, Lord. Mm. Well, I want to start our time today with a story that's going to launch us into our message. So sometime during seminary, a few friends and I decided to look up what our names mean. We realized that in the Bible, names mean something. So we did some research. So my name, Travis, means at the crossroads. One website said it was a toll taker. (laughs) So I was like, give me, give me, give me, right? And I was like, no, I don't like that one. I like at the crossroads. That's better. And uh, my middle name is Edward, and that means wealthy guard or guardian of treasures. Like, oh, some insight here. So I love that. I can't tell you how many times I felt at the crossroads with a road in front of me and one to my left and to my right. And regarding wealthy guard, I feel that adequately captures what the elders and I are trying to do here at BCC, and I know it's your heart too, right? To guard, protect, and share the treasures of God's word in and through our lives. So names are very significant when it comes to God's working in our lives. God changes Abram's name, which meant exalted father, To Abraham, father of the nations, before he and Sarah had Isaac. He was speaking it and saying, this is what's going to come into existence. This is what I'm going to do in you. I'm going to make you this before you even take one step toward it. Speaking of Sarah, God changed her name from Sarai, which meant princess, to Sarah, which meant my princess. Incredible. Jacob which meant deceiver or supplanter, becomes Israel, one who struggles with God. Simon, which means God has heard, becomes Peter, which is stone. And Saul, a name with regal connotations, chooses to go by Paul, which means little or small, kind of on purpose. So if you want to have some fun this week, look up your name, see how it fits, you know, does it fit how God wired you, and then post what you find on one of our social media pages. I think that might be fun to say, this is what my name is, but this is what it means, right? And there are our social media pages there. So as we think about the Gospel of John, I think it's quite interesting that John never, 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 never uses his name in this Gospel, not even once. When he's referring to himself, he uses the phrase the disciple Jesus loves. Isn't that awesome? Talk about awesome. When I was teaching the Gospel of John at Loudonville Christian School, I shared that with my students and asked what they thought of it. One kid, who I don't think was a believer or follower of Christ, replied that John was cocky and proud to give himself that designation. Like, out of all the disciples, he alone was the disciple Jesus loved. Come on, man, right? I don't think that's cocky, though. I think this is our birthright. This is our birthright of every single Christian. We are the ones Jesus loves. Imagine signing every check with that. Or imagine if someone asks you what your name is, you say, My name is so and so, and I'm the one Jesus loves. It might freak people out a little bit, but who cares? We are the ones Jesus loves. So if you haven't guessed it yet, we are studying through, we're going to start studying through the Gospel of John this morning. And let me just tell you, I am beyond excited for this. I love the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is one of those books that is so simple, a child can grasp it, yet so deep that we can plumb its depths over and over again for the rest of our lives and always learn something new. So no matter where we are on our spiritual journey, whether you are not yet saved, whether you're newly saved, whether you're a child in the faith, a young adult in the faith, a parent in the faith, there is something here in the Gospel of John for every single one of us. There is something here that the Lord wants to speak to us, to bring into existence in our lives, to lead us into, take us further up and further in, as it says in the end of Narnia. So I want to pray for us and ask the Lord to join us here this morning and then dive into knowing the pre-incarnate Jesus. What? We'll talk about that. We're going to pray first. So Father, I want to thank you so much that we can gather here together this morning in your name. I thank you so much for this church. I thank you that we can sing praises to your name and pray and and just be present in our community. And I pray, Lord, that if there's any of us here who... uh, you know, the things that we're talking about, stirring us to action, like taking in a family or participating in Alpha or any of our other ministries, that you would lead us and guide us. But the things that we do would come from our new name and our new identity in you. They wouldn't come to give us a new name, to give us a new identity, but we would do it from that place of acceptance, from that place of identity, so others can see the kind of work that you do in and through our lives. So guide us into that. And as we look at the Gospel of John this morning, Father, I want to give you this time. I ask Jesus that you would just fill this time to overflowing with yourself. Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, who we are in him, what our new name, our new identity is, so we can live from that place and show the world what you're like. So help us yet again as we go into your word open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes and ears to see what you're doing and saying. And thank you so much for this time in your name. Amen. All right. So we're going to start in John 20. That's, uh, you know, toward the end of the Gospel of John. And John just comes out and says, here's why I'm writing this Gospel. This is what it says in John 20, verses 30 and 31. Kind of important for us to know right off the rip. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, But these, there's seven signs in John, these signs, these things are written so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And don't you just love that? There's no guessing as to why he wrote this. John wrote this gospel so we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited, appointed, anointed one the Redeemer of the world, the one God promised, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we may have life in his name. Notice the word that's repeated there a few times. Starts with a B, right? Believe. In fact, out of the 250 times, the New Testament uses the verb believe. Check it out. 98 of them happen in the Gospel of John. It's kind of like he has a singular focus. He wants us to believe. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And notice who is calling to believe, who, he's, who is being called to believe here. It's not just unbelievers who are being called to believe in Jesus. It certainly includes that. It's also the rest of us who have trusted Jesus to keep believing in Jesus, to keep going to him, to keep looking to him so we can have an abundant faith Filled life through him Now doesn't that sound pretty awesome, right? So what is your heart craving these days? I want life, and not just a little. I want life to the full. And just where that, can that life be found? That kind of life is found only in Jesus. He is life itself. And it's only through believing in him for our salvation and our growth that we can have abundant, overflowing life in his name. So if you are ready for life, more life, and much life, you're going to love the Gospel of John. So let's dive in, shall we, and see how it all crescendos with Christ. Take a look at the first two verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning. So, for a Jewish audience hearing this, their knee jerk reaction would be to finish that sentence with In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate that. It's kind of like the popular advertisements McDonald's, do, 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 do. If you don't eat at McDonald's, I know, I do. I'm loving it, right? Probably shouldn't. This food's terrible. And that is on tape, by the way. Uh, There's better places. All right, about Nike. Just what? All right, here we go. So for the Jewish reader, in the beginning evokes a quick reaction to say, God created the heavens and the earth, right? But notice what John does. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. This definitely, right off the rip, would catch their attention. When John writes the word here, it's from the Greek word logos, which means that which gives order and meaning to life. That which gives order and meaning to life. Do you want order and meaning to your life? I don't know of a person on the planet who doesn't want order and meaning to their life. So in the beginning was this word, the word which gives order and meaning to our lives. But lest we just think it's, a, it's principles or something inanimate, notice how John clarifies this. The word was both with God and God himself. This word is alive and personal. This word is a being, a who who gives order and meaning to our lives. So this word, who is alive, who is a being, is said to be both with God and God. With God can be translated as facing God or face to face with God. So this word is both faith face-to-face with God, and is God himself. Now, how in the world does that work? Well, putting all the pieces together, the Bible teaches us very clearly that there is one God eternally existent in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Father's God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. God the Son is the one who is in focus here. In the beginning, God the Son was both with God, his Father, and is God himself as God the Son. So what this is saying is that at the center of all reality, the center of all reality where everything is pointing to is this Father-Son-Spirit relationship of the Trinity. That relationship is the center of all reality. So in this passage, we don't see John starting his gospel with a discussion of Jesus' birth like Matthew did or his earthly ministry like Mark and Luke did. Rather, John begins all the way back with Jesus' eternal pre-existence in heaven with God the Father and God the Spirit before his appearance on earth. Jesus' existence in heaven before his appearance on Earth is called the preexistence of Christ. To pre-exist means to exist before one is born. Check that out. That's quite the amazing thought. Now people are always trying to find the center of their lives. This verse tells us where that center can be found. Jesus is the center. He's always been the center. He's always going to be the center. And for us to truly find life, he has to be at the center of our lives too. That's where he longs to live, right? In the center of our existence and our being. So please hear this for what it's worth, for what it is. This is an invitation to center our lives on someone who is worthy to have that spot. And there's only one. My son loves to look at the stars and the planets. So this whole thing about who's at the center, reminds me of Ptolemy and Copernicus. Ever hear those names? Ptolemy and Copernicus. Ptolemy said that the earth was at the center and the sun rotated around it. Kind of like our current culture, right? We're at the center. Everything revolves around us. Copernicus comes on the scene, thank God, and challenges that and says, no, 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 the sun, S-U-N, is at the center. And boy, was he right. The sun not just the S-U-N, the S-O-N, really is at the center, and we are to rotate around him. So question, (laughs) what are we rotating around these days? So that's verse 1 and (laughs) 2. This thing's going to take us a real long time. Just kidding. So I like how John, right out of the gate, reminds us that Jesus really is the center of it all. Look how he continues. John 1, 3 through 5. All things, all things were made through him. And without him, it was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Wow. Are you catching the grandeur of these verses? Ah, oh, they're so amazing. So all things were made through him. A more literal translation would be, all things came into existence out of nothing, through Jesus. And when he's saying without him was not anything made that has been made, he's saying that Jesus is the creator of all things. And if we take him out of the equation, nothing would be here. All things were made through him and for him. And John continues, in him, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Now think about that. In him was life. That's a very, very, Bold claim to say that he is the fountainhead of all life. He is the one in which life is. Oh my gosh, that's a bold claim. All of life, all the other-centered, self-giving life of the Trinity is in Jesus. How can that be true if he wasn't God? I used to think eternal life was a gift or something God gave us, like a gift from Jesus external to him. But eternal life, check this out, is a person. Eternal life is a person. So when we trust Jesus, we don't just get a gift from Jesus. Who do we get? We get him. He moves into us. He is eternal life. That's why John will say later that those who have Jesus have life. And those who do not have Jesus do not have life. They have physical life, but not the life that we're created for, right? The spiritual life, the life of Christ, so, do you have life here this morning? If you don't, look to Jesus, receive him. He is that life. By God's grace, those who know Jesus in a saving way know what life is all about. It's about him. But those who don't know Jesus, according to John, don't know what life is really all about. So they set up caricatures and other things that they think are life. But are they? No, right? And as we know, sin just comes on the scene and and just messes this whole thing up. Instead of trusting God's love and heart, Adam and Eve decided to just throw it all away. And the moment they did, they were severed from life. And we were too, because we were in Adam. He made that choice. It affected all of us. Because of their sin, we are all born into this world, severed from life life of God and plunged into spiritual darkness. So what can we possibly do to fix this? We need light and we need life. Where are we going to find those things? Nothing on our own. We can't fix this. So God the Son came here to be because he is life and light. He came to restore us to life and light. There's a stunning truth that separates Christianity from every other religion and worldview We made a mess of things, and God the Son came here, took on human flesh to fix it all. Isn't that incredible? No wonder he should be the center of our lives. So notice how John says this next. John tells us that Jesus, who is life itself, is also the light of men. He is the true light of all mankind. Jesus is the true light of all mankind. Have you ever felt like you've been in dark, in darkness in this world. You ever feel that way? Jesus is the light you're looking for. He's the true light of all mankind. It's in his light that we see light. That's from the Psalms. So what are you looking to these days? To be life for you. To be the light that guides you. If it's not Jesus, John's telling us, you're looking in the wrong spot. We're looking in the wrong spot. Jesus is life itself, and he is the light we need. So John goes on to tell us that this light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Isn't that great truth? We are in the dark, we need light, and Jesus comes and he shines that light. He is the light, he's shining, and the darkness has not, nor will it ever, overcome it. Overcome it literally means to grasp it by force and over, overwhelm. Good luck. Good luck. John was stating that the real light has been shining and still shines and that the darkness has never, never been able to overcome it. The Greek tense use here of the verb implies that not one single instance of defeat has ever occurred, or will it? The light always wins against the dark, right? Yes, thank you. The light always wins against the dark. Before I got married, I went caving with a friend of mine. He led me into the heart of this cave, and then he had me shut off my headlamp. It was one of the creepiest experiences I've ever experienced. I could hear my hand waving in front of my face, but couldn't see it. Not at all. Pitch black, utter darkness. I wanted nothing more than to turn my headlamp on, and the second I did, the light dispelled the darkness. And I could see, and I could see the way out, and I took it. I'm like, what am I doing here? This is crazy. So our entire world, think of this, feel this. Our entire world was plunged into spiritual darkness and death. And Jesus, the true light of the world, came here and was the light in life we all so desperately needed. So this is how John starts his gospel. He wants us to know who this amazing Jesus is that we worship, Jesus, God the Son, the Word who is both with God and God, he is the one who is life itself and is the true light for all mankind. This is our Jesus. And I wonder, do you know him this morning? (laughs) Do you know him? So after all these wonderful truths about Jesus, what kind of response is worthy of one so great? I mean, what are we to do with all this? Is mere mental assent enough? Oh, yeah, I know about him. Uh Uh-uh. So with our remaining time together today, I want to spend the the rest of our time looking at the four potential responses to this Jesus. We're going to skip verses 6 through 8. We'll come back to that at the end. So take a look. The first response we see to Jesus is John 1, 9 through 10. There will be some who just don't know him. There's going to be some that don't know him. Verses uh, 9 through 10 says this, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him, did not know him. So Jesus, the true light, who gives light to everyone, came into this world. He was here in this world. And look at the first response. He was in the world. And even though the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So there's going to be some people we meet that just don't know him, that know little to nothing about Jesus. It's hard to imagine, but there are people who question if Jesus even existed, let alone that he was God. According to the Positive Action for Christ curriculum over John, I thought this was fantastic. Some people say that Jesus is just an idea In eternity past, a memory in the mind of God throughout eternity future. Huh? (laughs) What? Mormons think Jesus has always existed in the sense that he was merely an idea in God's mind. The Unitarians, Mormons, Christian scientists, and Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus always existed, but only as a thought or an idea in the mind of God. They believe Jesus became a reality at his birth in Bethlehem and that he ceased to exist when he died on the cross. Only the lingering memory of God in God's mind makes him eternal. Others say that Jesus was only a man during his time on earth. All that God talk and apparent miracles are just misunderstandings by very simple-minded people. So how do we refute that? Because when you start saying all the things we're saying that Jesus is light and he's life, people are going to react to that and respond to that. So what do we say as people say, you know, I, I think he was just a good man or, you know, he's just a distant memory in God's mind. How do we refute that? Well, to those who say Jesus was just an idea in eternity past, Jesus was facing God. If God saw him, the Father and the Spirit saw him, he's more than just a mere idea, To those who say Jesus was just a memory in the mind of God, who who believe Jesus ceased to exist at his death, what do you do with the mountains of evidence of his literal, physical, bodily resurrection? That's why we're here. If he didn't rise, go ahead, believe all this other stuff. But he did rise. And to those who think Jesus was just a man, Jesus claimed things and proved over and over again that he was God, not just once right? He did it over and over again. Take a look at John eight fifty eight. This is so clear. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So when Jesus uses the name I am, he is saying that he is the self-existent one, the one who has the power of existence within himself. We see God himself using this name in Exodus three thirteen through 14. Then Moses said to God, if, the people, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So Jesus only said things and only did things that God could do. He only said things God could say. He only did things God could do. C.S. Lewis, you want to read a fantastic book? Or if maybe you're ministering to someone who doesn't yet know Christ and they're open to thinking about this, Mere Christianity is a great book, right? C.S. Lewis, in that book, bottom lines it for us. He says this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus or the Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him or his claim to be God. That is one of the things we must not say. A man who was merely a man who said the sort of things Jesus say would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg. You ever meet someone like that? I'm a poached egg. Like, that's crazy, right? Okay. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Wow, C.S. Lewis, great quote. So, what do we do with people who are in this category? We pray for them and we give them Jesus. Tell them about who, about Jesus, who is God the Son in human flesh. Tell them how he came here, lived a perfect life, died, and rose, and help people see he was not just a good teacher or a moral man, but he really and truly is the Son of God, God the Son in human flesh. And pray that God would open people's eyes to see and believe who he really is. So that's the first category of people that we're going to come across as we're sharing our faith, living this thing out. We're going to come across people who don't know Christ yet. Notice the word yet. So that's the first category of people we're going to meet. Let's move into our second category now. There's going to be some people who just straight up refuse him. All right. John 1.11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So verse 11 shows us the rebellion against against and deliberate rejection of Jesus by his own people, the Jews. John tells us that Jesus came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him. So in a very general sense, there's going to be some, there's going to be those, who don't want Jesus to be their God. They want to be their own gods, Deciding for themselves what's right or wrong. Never mind God telling them what to do. They want to call the shots. And I was thinking about that though. We don't make very good gods though, do we? Look around. We don't. Think of all the knowledge there is to have. If the if knowledge could be somehow, you know, shrunken down to a body of knowledge that we can I mean, just think about that. What percentage do we actually have? of all the knowledge that there is to have. We are so limited as people. So thank goodness that John gives us another response to Jesus. There will be some, number three, who receive him. That's the invitation. John 1, 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but... Of God. Born of God. Verse 12 reveals that there are some who will receive him. And the way you do that is by believing in his name. And look at what God promises to do for them. He gives them the right to become what? Children of God, who were born again, not through blood or the will of flesh or man, but born of God. And just so we're clear, This is the response God wants us to have toward Jesus. Knowing about him isn't enough. We have to know him personally. Know him in a saving way. That is the only way for us to be saved and be born again. That is our only hope, friends. When our faith meets the right object, which is Jesus, he causes us to be born again into his family. This means that being part of the family of God is not automatic, but it's something that happens when we place our faith in Jesus. So I just want to ask, group this size, have you done that yet? Have you received and believed on Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, I'm begging you to do that today. Cross over from death to life, from darkness to life to light, by admitting, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I can't do this on my own. I believe that you are who you said you are, and I'm calling on you to save me. The moment you do that, you cross over from death to life. So there's one other potential response. Remember verses 6 through 8 that we skipped? Well, let's go back to them and finish our time. I think they show us the fourth potential response to Jesus. There's going to be some who share Jesus with others. And this is the invitation that we get to do this, that he fills our life with himself, and then we get to show him to others through our lives and our words. Look at verse one, six through eight. I'm sorry, chapter one, six through eight. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is different John, by the way. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So John, the one, you know, the disciple Jesus loved, is talking about a different John here, John the baptizer. He said that this John was sent from God. He came as a witness about the light that all might believe through Jesus. John reminds us that John the baptizer wasn't the long-awaited light, but he came to bear witness about that true light. And that true light, by the way, is who? (laughs) Jesus, right? So this is an invitation for us who know Jesus to share him with others, with our lives and our words. Jesus is the light and he wants to shine his light through us so others see what he's like in and through our lives. So who is God calling us to share the light with these days? God takes us full circle to where we started. We can't control their response. All we can do is point people to the true light just like John the Baptizer did. So those are the four pretty common responses to Jesus. And my question is, which one is God calling us to step into this week, this season that we're in, wherever he has us? So as we wrap up John 1, 1 through 13 this morning, it is clear that John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, is telling us that Jesus is God the Son in human flesh. Jesus is life itself itself. And he is the true light for all mankind. John is calling us to receive and believe Jesus, to keep going to him, to keep believing in him, and then with our lives and our words to share him with others. So how is God nudging us to respond to this this morning? Perhaps it's a new name, new identity. Perhaps it's to go deeper into that. Perhaps he's leading us to share Jesus with our lives and our words specifically to someone. However he's nudging us, we can trust him. We can trust him and take the next steps. There's nothing quite like knowing and walking with our Jesus. That is John 1, 1 through 13. And gosh, I'm excited to be looking at the gospel of John together. Let's give the rest of our time to the Lord. So, Father, I want to thank you for a really robust time in the Gospel of John this morning. Thank you that, man, this Gospel is so filled with light and life. It's so filled with you. So I just pray that as we consider these truths, that you would speak to our hearts the very thing that we need. Maybe we don't know you yet, and I pray that if there's someone here who doesn't yet know you, that today really would be the day of salvation as they do business with you, as they talk with you, as they receive the gift that you gave them in yourself. And I pray for us who have received you, help us never forget all that you did to accomplish our salvation. And I pray that that would impact how we look at you and others. And I pray for us that you give us great opportunity as a church, as families, as individuals, to share this gospel with our lives and our words. I pray that those things would match and people would see Jesus in and through us. Thank you for the gospel of John. Thank you that it calls us in such powerful detail to believe in you and to keep believing. So help us do those very things and thank you for our time in your name. Amen. Uh, one final announcement. You may notice these little bottles in the back. This is a fantastic outreach to Alpha Pregnancy Center. You can do this with your kids or just you have spare change laying around or dollars, whatever. This is a great way to bless and support Alpha Pregnancy Center. So take one of these or a handful of these and fill them up and bring them back we'll make sure they get to Alpha Pregnancy Center. So, man, what a great morning together. Mm. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face shine on us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us his incredible peace. Amen. So, guys, stick around. We have the prayer wall. We have snacks and goodies. Hang out. Don't run out. Get to know each other. Love each other in Jesus' name. Thanks.